Hi, welcome to Diaries of Social Data Research, a podcast where we take a deeper look into the research diaries of interdisciplinary collaborations. We're your hosts, Dai Tianzhou and Lucy Lee. If you haven't yet noticed, this is our first episode with a new co-host. Our prior co-host, Katie Keith, has leveled up to be an assistant professor at Williams College, and we're so excited for her. In this episode, Nineteen and I interview three guests, Christian Baden, Christian Peepal, and Marikon Vandervelden. Christian Baden is an associate professor at the Department of Communication and Journalism in the Smart Institute at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem affiliated also with the Hebrew University Center for Interdisciplinary Data Science Research. His research focuses on collaborative construction of meaning in dynamic political public debates. Christian Pipal is currently a postdoc at the Department of Communication and Media Research at the University of Zurich, studying how politicians communicate on social media. Before that, he was a PhD candidate in political science at the University of Amsterdam. Marikin van der Velden is an associate professor of political communication in the Department of Communication Science at Frisia Universität Amsterdam. Her research spans the areas of political communication, political behavior, and computational social science. Thank you, Nitan, for the intro. Um, today, we're going to be talking about a paper that the three of guests that we have today are co-authoring with um, Martin Schoenfeld. Um, the paper is titled Three Gaps in Computational Text Analysis Methods for Social Sciences, a Research Agenda. So in this paper, the authors present three gaps in computational text analysis methods, or CTAM, uncovered through a broad review of the field. They conduct a manual content analysis of 854 articles that involve quantitative text analysis and were published in the top 20 journals in communication science, political science, sociology, and psychology. They also administered a survey to hundreds of authors of these articles to service, surface potential considerations and concerns around the application of CTAM. From the analyses, the authors outlined three gaps. First, method development tends to focus more on technological concerns and predictive performance than measurement and operational validity. Second, CTAM methods are not always able to fulfill social scientists' need to measure multiple complex textual contents. Third and finally, CTAM still focuses mainly on English, which limits comparative and linguistically diverse lines of research. Um, is there anything else the authors might want to jump in and add or clarify that I in this paper summary? That is a very accurate summary of the points we were trying to make, and thank you. All right, cool. I guess to get us started, Marikin, could you tell us where the research idea for this paper came from? Uh, yes, so we started this out, I think, uh, both uh, Christian Baden, Mark Tynes, Kronfelder, and me, we just were awarded a grant, like a consortium grant. We were, we were with the three of us, we started like a little bit of a group, Christian people, um, like uh, joined us uh, and we thought of, okay, let's think about, uh, and it was a multilingual computational methods. Let's think about how we actually gonna start this project. And then uh, after some uh, conversations with us, we actually said like, well, there are so many things that are hurdles in order to do computational methods across languages, uh, across languages. 
um, that we need to really think about, okay, what, what are people doing now and how are they even measuring this to begin with? Uh, so there was the first thing actually came from like, can we even do it? And then like we also realized quite quickly, well, yes, but also no. Uh, and that's like how we actually define these three gaps, uh, which was actually uh, Christian Baden's uh, first initial idea to have this, like he kind of really disentangled the three ones. And then we all contributed to these three different um, gaps. Mm. Yeah, if I may maybe just kind of continue, like it, going one step even further back, right? Like the, the original um, idea for this paper came out of the preparations for this project. And this project is a large infrastructure project. It's called Observatory for Political Text in European Democracies, OPTED, which actually ends in a few weeks. So um, like this paper is from the very beginning of this, and we are now in the very end. And the idea of this project was to review a wide range of things, infrastructural needs that researchers have when they engage in computational analysis of political texts. And in this context, the coordinator of this project, Hajo Baumgarten at the University of Vienna, approached us and said like, you have been working across languages, you have been working with computational methods, wouldn't you like to take charge of a, of a part of the project that is focused on this? And I mean, obviously, I think all of us, Martin, Marika, I, and, and, and Christian was doing his, uh, uh, his PhD, but like, we all have long worked across languages and with all these methods, but that was never really the prime focus of thinking of this as an interlingual, cross-lingual problem. So by be being kind of appointed as like the heads of this endeavor here, I think that got us starting about, okay, like, how do we tackle this like you know um and, and and that's where this review came in that marika mentioned where we kind of felt okay now we, we we just got this grant we need to build a solid foundation on which to stand if we want to say anything and in the process of this i think what happened is that kind of all those frustrations that we have all had throughout our research careers in this domain that we we're annoyed that the tool doesn't quite do what it was supposed to do that it if you figure out if you try to figure out what exactly it actually does you get this documentation that focuses on all the things you don't care about right and, and it doesn't give you the answer that you need and then you're trying to use the same thing on another language and it doesn't function i think that was kind of like was a driving element here that there was a um uh, like kind of like a, a a mountain of over many years accumulated frustrations where we all like uh, i think in the beginning especially martina marika and i were sitting together and just kind of ranting a little bit and we came to the conclusion that that's actually used a useful exercise like you know to kind of just put the finger where the state of the field has been frustrating and hurting us and writing this up and that kind of bringing this together with this review i think that's kind of that's the, the in a nutshell right like where we came from so it seems like you already had a lot of frustrations coming in you kind of had like a sense of the gaps that could be there or like some expectations of certain gaps how much did the gaps you end up outlining in the paper you had to reduce it down to three i guess 
end up aligning with your initial bundle of frustrations or not align? I can speak for myself, right? I mean, I don't know whether that identity features for everybody, but like, I think the main process was kind of getting it from very specific issues into the broader ones that matter. I, I, I like, I mean, for instance, I have had this long um, kind of irritation with some methods that are widely used and that have validity issues that we all know, right? Everybody who has used topic models knows they have validity issues. Everybody who has used sentiment analysis knows they have validity issues. And we still do this. And, and, and kind of identifying what's the, the underlying bigger problem. So I don't think that there was anything we really, like, I don't feel like I cut out anything. It was mostly kind of getting it from the specific issues to the underlying problems that drive the problem. Yeah, from, from, my, from my perspective, my journey was also maybe a little bit different because I don't have, like, like Kristen Marieken, like 10 years of prior research experience and these, these experience with these frustrations. I came from being more or less at the beginning of my, my PhD studies in, in political communication, where when I first came across papers that used um, computational text analysis methods, I was just fascinated and thought it was super cool and easily applicable to my research questions. And my first ideas were all about, yeah, just use these tools like similarly to others and 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 see what's going on and, and and use them to 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 answer the research questions of my of my dissertation. Um but quite quickly realized of course also based on discussions with with peers and supervisors and other academics that Maybe we should. Maybe I should take a step back. Maybe we should all take a step back and think about these questions that, and these, of course, they were not formulated as 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 these gaps. But think about these issues um, before just going the same route like maybe other people did and just blindly apply tools. In my case, across languages because my PhD research was um, across European across European parliaments, using speeches across European parliaments, so it's inherently multilingual. But this entire awareness for these um, for these potential problems and, and shortcomings of existing methods really developed during that stage and then also during um, during this research for this paper and during during the content analyses. I remember when we started doing the content analysis looking for uh, validation efforts that people presented in these papers, and I thought, well, of course, of course, these things are validated. Um, of course, people do that, right? Because when we learn in, in in my bachelor's and master courses, I learned that's what you have to do. So I assumed everyone would be doing that, right? And if people use a computational method, it will be well, it's generally validated, and they're validated on the on their own data. And and as it turns out, that uh, this is a bigger issue than I thought, and um. So for me, there was this wider range of issues that I came across and started to think about right at the time, which I think ultimately were quite well encapsulated in the formulation of, the, of these three gaps. Merkin, did you want to add anything? No, I think my, my well, my experience was uh, somewhat similar to Christian. I think I've always, I really like measurement, I think, because that's where like theories come into play. 
thinking about which concepts we can actually, because we usually, especially in the social sciences, I can hardly ever touch uh, the concepts I'm working with. I cannot touch polarization or uh, understanding of, 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 the, of your news article, uh, but I have to, and somehow this is what my risk is on, so I have to measure it. Um, and doing that in a creative way, I think this is just the greatest job that there is in the world. And I'm still like with all the issues that there are often there in academia, this is still something that for me is always a, a, a thrive. And then thinking about how to do that, especially I started doing uh, computational text analysis when there were not so many packages. So you really had to understand the code from the scratch. And I think that helped a lot in also understanding what you were doing. One of them, the frustrations that came later, like the easier it becomes, it becomes as if it's a magic wand, like something that you can apply in any situation just by switching, kind of like, I don't know, have I almost this Harry Potter, like switch and flick uh, sentence in there. But that's not what methods are, at least there's not what they are for me. They are tools and they, those tools are used for specific tasks. And understanding this and applying that in this way is very important to me. So this is, and, and then you see that a lot of these constructs that we work with uh, are so complex. And when we use them in public opinion research, we have maybe 40 questions to measure a, co a concept. Uh, and then we think that with like, you know, one simple dictionary, we, we approach the same. It just doesn't match up for me. And uh, what, what I really like is to then to work in the beginning, especially with Christian Baden and Martijn, we all had coming from a little bit of different experiences, similar ideas, and that's how this it, it, it developed so well. And we could also really make these three gaps like a, a broader argument because it, it fitted all our experience. And I also liked it a lot to work with uh, Christian people because he came from a very different, like kind of almost like new perspective novel, like, oh, this is cool. And then like talking somebody through boundary conditions helps me to think about it. And also the other person, I thought that was a really nice experience for me. I guess so. In in the course of developing this paper, you both surveyed the literature and also um, lots of authors. And I was wondering, how did that sort of process clarify the themes in your paper? So we did that after. So we, we already had our gaps based on the literature and also based on our experiences. And what we used this survey for was also to substantiate that like we are not completely off. Um, it was not just three frustrated or four frustrated people. Uh, it is something that actually exists in the community. And I think what that survey for us for foremost brought is actually also a way forward. If these are concerns people have, what can what solutions do we need? Um, and I, I think, so for me, to, like I actually had a, a, a nice spin-off on this, on thinking about um, how, how this is different for different genders. So that for me is, is always a, a big important part in academia, like having inclusive and accessibility as a key item. Um, and for others, they focus way more after that on the validation and what are the key problems or also how can we make languages comparative? How can we actually make sure constructs are comparative across languages? So I think the survey was a really inspiration for a larger research agenda for, for all of us. Yeah, and to just kind of uh, connect to this, right, like um, part of the ambition of the underlying big project is also to build something that helps, right, like the the, the entire intention of the, the, the Observatory for Political Text in European Democracies is to create an infrastructure 
where researchers that share an agenda, that share a set of problems, can put resources, pull resources, uh, pull um, experiences and, and make them somehow valuable. So this was to some extent also our way of connecting to all those people, right? I mean, like we come from a little bit different fields. Uh, I mean, my original training was also as a political scientist, but I have abandoned these shores a while ago. And uh, Martijn is still very much a political scientist and Marieken is uh, is navigating the, 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 the shores, right? Uh, so we're always, we know there's a bunch of people that we all know, but there are also different communities that are in each of these fields that work in this general domain. But political science, uh, communication science, and other fields that are use these methods have slightly different approaches. And like, you know, if you're mostly doing your own research, you're kind of vaguely aware of this somewhere that you've seen this, but you don't have a systematic account of those differences. And I think that was part of the, the, the idea, really, that basically starting from this this, 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 this Shakespearean feeling that there's something rotten, right? That there's something that needs to be done. And uh, like, that's normally where I come from. Like, you know, I kind of feel something is rotten and I want to poke at it. And then Marike is the one who kind of feels like she wants to fix something, right? And that's kind of a very good complementary approach because like um, my impulse is to dig deeper so it hurts. And, and Marika's impulse is always to stop me and say like, but you need to do something useful with this. You need to make this kind of practical. And, and, and for that, talking with the people doing this and reading what they are actually doing was instrumental. Like we couldn't have done this without this review. I think what's also quite nice in connection to this outreach that Christian just described was the experience that when we presented the paper itself, but also the issue itself at conferences, etc. There was always a large group of people of researchers who work in the field whose work we reviewed as part of, of, of this paper, but also who we reached out to via the survey, who knew about us probably via the survey, who came to us and talked to us and were confirming that that they they deal with these issues, that we were not just envisioning it and by finding it in the data, but not also not also because we found it in the survey, but also when we talk to people that um, they they experience these issues in their everyday um, work life and beyond, um, and that there's indeed a need for for um, for addressing these issues. So the other Christian brought up the fact that the authors are all like on different in different spaces in this ocean and this beach of all these different fields. I love like the analogies of like on the shores and stuff like that. I'm curious, um, in what ways is writing a quantitative text analysis paper for a political science audience different from writing one for a communications audience or some other audience that you might be catering your work towards? Um, I guess Marikin can go first and then we can move our way along the shore to different areas. So I, I'm, I'm thinking because I am in both fields, but then like within communications, I Let's say I'm now meandering out to use the uh, the water um, analogy further, um, but like my my for my training was in political science. I think the community is more diverse in a way in political science in in general in terms of methods, 
but then the, the audience that you write to when you write a qualitative piece is actually a very un, un, unanimous front. These are people that are almost all behavioralists. Uh, they all have done a part of their training in methods. So they're quite like they have a very aligned view on what is what should good research look like. Whereas in communication science, I think the, the methods and the, you know, whether it's qualitative or qualitative, that kind of fight that they left behind and they are mo foremost, at least in Europe, uh, quantitative scholars. So in terms of method, they are very aligned, but then in terms of what is good research and what does that mean, it's extremely diverse because in communications, you deal with people that do, I don't know, child and media development, uh, health communication, uh, robots, uh, political communication, like you name it. And like there's like, there is not a any human behavior there that doesn't involve communication. And that's also what they study. So in terms of outreach, it's way broader. And it also comes, it has, let's say, one lag always in a sub-discipline. So what is good research is really different. And I think uh, navigating that field is always, um, yeah, it could be quite a challenge. Though I think in the end, uh, people are interested in broader arguments. And that is also what we saw. Uh, like it is what Christian people also said, like a lot of people came to us saying like, this was helpful to think through whatever issue they had doing some text analysis. Yeah, and I, I, I agree that kind of um, like the discourse about methods is a bit different, right? Um, partly because of training and background, right? Like the majority of political scientists have a training in political science. In communication, we have sociologists, psychologists, political scientists, media studies people. It's a very heterogeneous in terms of where people come from. And that means that there isn't an obvious default. There is not really like a kind of a strong set of canon um, uh, ideas or approaches about how one is supposed to do that. And that means that at least my perception, uh, like, I mean, basically, I've been understanding myself as a methodologist in this domain for a while, is that basically one thing I like about communication is that you constantly need to justify everything, right? There isn't really this thing where if you study this, then that's how you do it. But like even with things that are reasonably well-established research agenda, there is controversy about methods. And that means that the discourse um, is... It's less focused, but it is kind of infused by a sometimes very broad range of considerations. And that's sometimes useful, especially if you're thinking about validation, um, because the the person trained in, in cultural sociology is sitting in the same room and listening to your paper and saying, like, hang on, that's not a good measure, right? There is a problem to this and you need to somehow respond to that. And uh, so like basically, the, I, I would say like in a way the challenge is to bring this together, to have on the one hand a, a way of writing that that talks to people who have a relatively specific idea of what they need a method for and have a long um, and a kind of like a tradition of, of incrementally improving this, right? Like kind of um, trying to make it ever a little bit better tailored to this thing which is more, I would say, like a political science approach to kind of take a method that is demonstrated useful and then try and push it ever forward. 
and in, in communications, um, a lot of people don't necessarily have the same depth of awareness of all of those things, right? Like if you, for instance, one thing that comes out of our uh, review is that all these latest technologies in computational measures, they are not widely used in communication, right? Like the, the, the uh, political science is far faster to adopt these, these uh, neural high powered uh, language models than communication. And that makes sense because that's a tradition that it connects to. But like, if I talk only to those people, I lose the communication people because they're not at that point. But inversely, if you want to make the communication people happy, happy, you need to talk in a way that also the qualitative, the uh, kind of discourse um, focused people can follow. And there you sometimes then start losing some of the quantitative political scientists who say, like, what is this? I can't handle this, right? And kind of striking this balance is a bit of a... But it's a very fascinating challenge, right? Because living between these, these, these universes, I mean, I mean, I'm basically, I've been based in a communication department now for a very long time, but I come from political science and I do political communication research. So these communities are integrated in many ways. They have a lot of common forums, right? And um, especially with the, um, let's say, the, the, there has been a, um, an initiative that another colleague of ours uh, has uh, driven a while ago to kind of create a community of computational methods uh, focused people at the International Communication Association, the main conference in communications. And that has also brought people that were originally in political science into this community and they kind of start leading this discourse. And that's a very fascinating, challenging translation task, but I think it makes us better because if we can talk to both of those sides, then then we may actually be able to push this forward. Maybe. One just one anecdote from my own experience now changing from a quant focused political science group in Amsterdam to a to a communication science department. I think about four years in, in political science in Amsterdam. I've never been asked at any of my presentations, why are you turning this into numbers? Whereas now in my very first talk that I gave in a small group of, of, of people, with a small group of people at the communications department, department Zurich. I actually did get the question of why, um, why don't I really try to understand what's in those texts? Why do I have to, um, turn it into, into a bar chart or something? Um, I think that maybe, I mean, of course, it's an anecdote, it's one, one event, but it kind of reflects what Christian, um, was just describing. Yeah. I think this mix of disciplines and how we navigate that is definitely like something that's very core to, a lot of this kind of research that straddles the boundaries. Um, and that's definitely an idea that I'm going to want to come back to. But to circle back to kind of the process a little bit, to do like manual coding of over 800 papers and surveying over a thousand authors, like that's a pretty large undertaking. And so like how long did this whole process take from like the conception of the idea to actual publication? It was actually pretty fast overall. Um, I mean, like we got the notification that the project is going to be uh, funded in early 2020. 
And um, so like the summer 2020, kind of like the project, everything was set up and we were gathering. Uh, that was at the time Marika and uh, Martin and I. And we were thinking, okay, how do we get started? Like even before the project was really in swing yet. And that was where this kind of idea came from. And by the time that the kickoff meeting, the official thing for the, um, for the project happened in fall, we had already significant part of the literature coding done. That was, it was, that was our first kind of practical thing, right? To, to, to say, okay, we need to get the footing. We need to collect this material. That was pretty fast. And then building on this, we felt there is a need for the next layer of context, i.e. the survey that we then built. And as we had all those author names already in our database, it was a very quick stop from there uh, to contact these people. So um, so the, the entire process of this paper was actually really fast, right? Like we, we kind of started thinking about this in early summer 2020. The paper was um, submitted in summer 2021 and um, was uh, the, the entire review process took about five and a half, six months with two revisions. And it is published in December 2021. So like this was a kind of like a like a really like a full steam entry into this project. And I think it was mostly because what Marike earlier mentioned that is basically like we, we kind of we, we, we came together as this team. We hadn't really been working. I don't know. Have you been working with Martin much before that? But because like I have not like I'm, I've been aware of your work and of Martin's work before we started this, but we never really had much to do with one another. And we kind of met and we kind of felt like there is a common agenda that we can agree upon and that there, there, there is not much need to, to, to translate because we feel the same pain. And, 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 and taking it from there to say, like, let's substantiate this, let's write this up, let's give this data and put this into a place so we can cite this and build on this was really was a very fun tour i would say like it's you know one of the things that is that happens that if you're a methodologist in a substantive focused department is that you really enjoy if you can nerd out a little bit with fellow nerds and um and, and, and it's lovely you know like kind of meeting people where you think like yeah exactly <laughs> that was exactly the problem i had with this yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So when you were doing this literature search, you looked over like four different fields, political science, communications, psychology, sociology, and then this paper ended up getting published in Communication Methods and Measures. How did you choose which publication venue to send this paper? How did we choose that? I would say well, one side uh, of this is probably, um, I mean, I to some extent, uh, I probably my influence as also the lead author of this thing, I have been part of communication methods and measures, more or less from the beginning, like basically when this journal was founded, then editors asked me to join the editorial board. And I've known this project from the very beginning, and I very much like this journal, I think it's a very, it was an extremely timely and necessary addition to this field and i have had very good experience with how they handle things 
And what also obviously helps is that um, CMM, like communication, measure, communication methods and measures, uh, had just gotten ranked, that they took their time to get themselves ranked, and they kind of ranked like a cork underwater, right? Like the moment you release them, they kind of drop to the uh, to the surface. So it was a highly visible, extremely uh, well-led journal that has a wide readership, not only in communication and especially in methods. And uh, it came together with this time of of, of the, 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 the computational methods community forming also in the International Communication Association. So like hitting for this community, um, I think was a first impulse that we thought that we have a, a critical mass of people that read this journal and that are a sizable part of the ones that we want to talk to. Yeah, and I think the reason we did four subfields, I might have been the, let's say, fault of that, because uh, in that sense, like I'm a comparativist at heart, like saying that something is there in one discipline doesn't mean that it's not there in another discipline, especially in the dispersion of some of these fields. So then I, I think that one one point in time, we really said like, okay, if we think that these three gaps hold, they need to hold a little bit across the social sciences to make this a broad argument. So while we started saying, okay, this is probably like we started from this computational communication crowd, we wanted to make sure that our argument didn't crumble as soon as you look into psychology or political science. So that's why we just, we did this also for like, you know, the substantiation of our argument. But I think in the end, like Christian was, um, Martijn and I at least were quickly convinced, and I think Christian people as well, like, this seems like a good journal. It's nice. We both didn't have published in that before. Uh, so in that sense, we were happy to publish there. And I think also maybe um, many of the many of the toolkits that that we described, but also uh, that are developed now and are introduced, many papers that introduce new new textual uh, measurement tools are being introduced by this venue. So these papers are getting published in that journal. So I thought also. It would be nice to have a paper that is maybe a little bit more critical on some of these aspects being published in the same venue where people present these tools. So it sounds like from the timeline that Christian gave, the overall process of writing and submitting and publishing the paper went pretty smoothly, or at least like relatively quickly. But were there any big challenges or pitfalls or maybe rejections during the process that you would want to talk about? So I think it went fast because like, uh, let's say September or something, Christian Baden had like, you know, uh, put all our frustrations into, let's say two or three pager. Uh, and then we said like, well, actually would be nice to have some, uh, you know, substantiation for our frustration. We started the review and then we also said, okay, let's submit it to the ICA, which is the uh, International Conference uh, or International Communication Association and the general conference deadline is always in the first week of November, we need to have a full paper. So uh, we all said, okay, like, let's, you know, put the work to it. Let's make sure we have done the reviews. Uh, we can actually substantiate these claim or our frustrations with like things in the literature. So in that sense, like we had to, in two months, more or less, had to write a full paper uh, out of our frustrations, uh, do some data collection. And then if you already have a full paper, if that draft is relatively solid, it becomes easier to polish. And also you see already like, you know, when there is a, a full draft, it's also easier to polish it because you know there is something. 
And in that sense, I think we just had like, I don't like, I think our frustrations were shared. We were just the, the first ones to write it up uh, and systematically underpin it. And that, that made the review process really smooth. Uh, and also we had presented in the community already that we wanted to target and that helped helps a lot, I think in general. And there's also, I think, the, the echo we got from this, like both at the ICA General Conference and at all, every other venue, like I, I have no idea how many times people came and said like, yeah, thank you, exactly, right? Like we've been feeling this, we've been running into these issues and it is like we basically, we, 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 we ran into open doors everywhere we went. And, and, and that, um, so like we kind of, I think our experience was that we, like once we started thinking about this, um, it was kind of positioning itself because everybody we talked to, the people we interviewed, you get so much echo that says like, yeah, you're on the right track. This is this is something we need to talk about. Uh, inv inviting people to, to, to have these, these conversations at conferences and people come and they're eager to share. And it's like, we didn't really have to convince anybody that this is worth doing. But like whenever we brought up this topic, people is like, yeah, cool. Uh, welcome, like do this. And, 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 and that, that so helps uh in this in this this process but it's not a common this was not a common process for me in in terms of papers like usually it doesn't work like this uh for me at least it's also kind of a new kind of paper right i mean like i don't know i haven't written a paper like this before um and it's fun right like this kind of like um i mean there, there is this i don't know like maybe that's like my perception but like i kind of felt like i've been doing this long enough i can have an opinion on it and um and and kind of leading with the opinion right like not not saying like okay we do a review and then stock taking and then we see what kind of conclusions arise from this but coming from this there is something that needs to be said and i th think i'm ready to say it right and 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 finding uh, others who feel with me that this is what they want to say and then uh, kind of giving shape to this kind of experience that has accumulated, but that never really had a full shape. Uh, it was a very enjoyable process and it was, uh, and it's way faster than starting a study and then figuring out where that leads. Yeah, I can also confirm that none of my other submissions so far was that went that smooth compared to this one. And this was actually, I think, yeah, this was the first uh, paper submission to journal that I actually ever was was part of. And it was so far definitely just move as none of the others I've been involved in um, went that quickly. Yeah, it's okay. I also feel like every paper to me always feels like so much more work than I envisioned when I first started it. <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to ask a question that I kind of feel like I have the answer to after reading your paper, but just in case um, a lot of listeners might not have read your paper, but one of the points in your paper is that there are situations where one may opt out of using computational text analysis methods when answering a research question. And at sort of like a meta level in this paper, you mostly use manual content analysis. Did you ever have the thought of using computational approaches in this particular paper? And if so, what made you decide against it? Krishan Pipal is just shaking his head. 
Yeah, like we, I mean, like part of the story is we did not really consider using computational methods here. And we did have some, let's say, low-key uh, involvement in the sense that we obviously we did not manually go through tens of thousands of, uh, of articles published, but we kind of, we had a very broadly inclusive keyword strategy. Um, which is kind of one of the things I keep telling my students, one of the most useful things that computational methods can do for you is to focus your attention. You don't necessarily need to use computational methods as the standalone thing that leads your conclusion, but just kind of to get rid of the stuff you don't have to look at. It's a main, it's an amazingly useful method. But then I think there is also something about avoiding kind of a self-defeating uh, approach like criticizing validity issues of an approach and then using that approach to demonstrate there is something um there is something problematic about this right like basically if if then basically i or like we would have to ask ourselves if we were a reviewer too how we can be certain that our um, review of the literature is actually an accurate depiction if we rely on the exact kind of measures of which we just said they have validity issues um, is a fair point, right? Um, so uh, yeah, I think that 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 that's part of part of the story. And and another, I think another consideration was that. And it's kind of a direct uh, consequence of, of Marika's assistance that we go beyond the fields we are in. That if you do this, you can never exclude that there might be something you're unaware of, right? And uh, and like all computational tools that would have been useful in this domain would have required some kind of deductive understanding of what are the kinds of things we would need to code. And that meant that for us, uh, actually looking like we sampled articles based on whether they make reference to text and analysis, right? Because it's kind of hard to do a textual analysis using computational methods without mentioning text. Uh, some people still probably manage and they fell through all measures. But I wouldn't have, I mean, I love dictionaries. I'm, I, you know, like I've been working with computational dictionaries very many times, and I think they're great because you have full control over what it does. They're old fashioned technology, but they're lovely, but they require that you know what you're, what you're chasing. And if you're not fully confident what you're chasing, they're not your friend. And that was our situation, I think. Plus, I think every article or every journal has a different setup. So like knowing where to look for human is incredibly easy, but for computer, like for a computer, it's not like, so a lot of these things, they were mentioned either in places where you're not always uh, were aware of that they would have been mentioned, um, not always consecutively and not always um, explicitly. And especially implicit understanding is not something that at this point in time, or at least uh, in 2020, uh, computers were very good at. And one of the really fascinating things out of this review is to see the weirdest kind of conventions or absence thereof that some journals and fields have for documenting methods. 
right? Like it, it is a super, super fascinating, especially if you come from a subfield that has a relatively strict adherence to, to reporting and documenting strategies. If you go then into fields where this is less well established, how you need to piece together information on what they did, uh, how they mentioned that they used languages, but not which. Uh, and then you kind of you reconstruct somehow from the description of the sample what must have been in there somehow. It's super interesting. And, and a computer would have been straight defeated. And our goal was, and I think this is the, for, the, the, the mo almost the most important reason, um, our goal was to understand the field. So we had to get our hands dirty. Uh, so here we all, like, you know, like I've been taught, but also training my own students, like, you know, the goal defines the method. And, and that we would have really defined that, like my own, like, belief in that. So that would not have been, uh, I, don't, I don't think it would have flown in the team that we have. Yeah, I often describe it as a chicken and egg problem, where if you use computational methods to audit or evaluate computational methods. <laughs> um, so earlier in the hour, I guess, um, you mentioned that this project was kind of like the starting step to as part of a larger opt-ed project. We were wondering, like, how has this project contributed and how has the larger project evolved after this paper? Well, we've been building on this a lot, right? Like this was the first step in uh, this project um, to take stock of what people do. And we collected more data than what is reported in the three gaps paper. We also looked at how um, people validate and how people document how they validate their methods or what they do if they don't, right? Uh, or what they kind of think counts as a validation. There are also very different understandings of what counts as a validation, depending on who you ask. And the second step was then, and that is something that uh, is currently in a full draft and conference paper state and hopefully will become a paper also. We have uh, developed a framework for what we identified as best practices or as recommendable uh, strategies and good, good standards uh, and, and, and also points of attention, right? That um, things that, that you can show based on practices in the fields uh, that they are valuable and they're really advanced validation, but not necessarily everybody thinks about them. And um, we have been drawing upon that to identify challenges in validation, uh, issues of how different languages, how different uh, contexts where material is gleaned from, uh, ruin measurement, create biases. And just now, like a week ago, we kind of uh, completed a, a in, in like kind of an interim report, if you want. We're not yet done done with the investigations on a bunch of validation experiments where we draw exactly upon those things that we in this initial uh, survey and, uh, and and content analysis identified that these are things that people do that people are concerned about um, methods that they use challenges that they run into and we have tried to design a few 
experiments to try and tease this out and, and show how if one has the time and the resources to to not just validate in the sense of output validation, right? Like kind of running a measure and seeing whether it aligns with what it's supposed to do. But if you want to go deeper and understand why is there a bias, what exactly in the text causes trouble, right? Uh, how one can do this. So this has been really the foundation, right? And uh, so you could think of what we have been doing in Opted as kind of formulating the challenge and then trying to respond to it and and making like a obviously we're, we're very far from solving anything but kind of putting a few suggestions or propositions into the room where we think that this is part of a possible strategy to get out of this and to build a stronger field so is that like i think we, what we also did is like we uh edit as a special issue that will come out next month uh, where we actually also had other people like, let's say, joining the conversation on what to do in um, multilingual uh, text analysis. That is very tangible. I think intangible is also like working. We had a postdoc or two postdocs by now uh, and a couple of PhD students involved in the project. And like it shaped also their thesis, their way of doing their research. And I think these are less tangible, but um, almost equally no, for sure, equally or even more important than the papers in my own pipeline. Just to kind of say like, okay, how are we doing this? How do we deal with problems that everyone deals with, but now you know more about it? What do you then trade off? And I think that for me is also a quite rewarding part of this project. You have, if you tease the special issue, you have to mention that it will appear in September in computational communication research. So we're nearing the end of our time together. And so I would like everyone to go around, starting with Markin and then Christian P. Paul and then Christian Baden. Anything else you'd like to add that we didn't cover? And also any advice you would give to students who might be trying to get introduced into the computational social science community in your respective geographic or social circles? So, so I'm, I'm going to focus on the latter part. Uh, because part of my, let's say, research agenda is always to think that this should be a method that should be inclusive, though used for the right purpose. So I think computational methods is, it is a can-do mentality uh, in the sense that like the beginning will be hard and the, the progress goes slow in the beginning. And then there is this turnover that you start to understand things and things go faster. This is like, this is normal. So do it together. And, and think about the way you you want to be included in this community. If you, if it's for you to like spend hours on formulas, that's fully fine. If it's for you to watch some YouTube movies and play around, that's great too. If you learn by sitting next to somebody else and do it in this way, there is no bad way to learn it. But do learn it and do get uh, do approach people that you see that you cite or that you ideally ideally want to cite. Approach them. People are are willing to help you. People that build infrastructures are community oriented uh, and are willing to help. It's just that like, you know, I don't have like, I don't always see who needs help. Um, but if you do need help, reach out, reach out to those of you that like you think are closest to you, to how you would do things. Uh, maybe based on my own experience now as well, um, 
if you learn these methods, if you're getting into these methods, uh, be excited about them, but don't be afraid to not use them. Be prepared that maybe for some of your research questions and interests, they are, they are not the right tools. And when I started, I remember, I remember when I started, I wanted to do everything computationally. And now I have several projects in, that I'm working on where we go back to and actually read the texts and try to figure out what is going on. Um, so whatever, you, how, however excited you are about using computational methods, don't forget that there's um, a, a, a vast richness that encoded in these texts um, that you might be overlooking. Exactly. And I think like connecting also to something that Marika said earlier, like the, the method is a tool, right? We don't uh, use methods because they exist, even though sometimes you get the feeling that this is increasingly uh, like with the, with the kind of ease of use and the popularity and widespread accessibility of some high power tools, um, it is tempting to press buttons because they are there. And I think that's not a good approach to enter to computational methods or to methods generally. The starting point is what is this supposed to achieve for you? And um, all the things that were correct before computational methods are still correct, right? Like there's nothing wrong with drawing a sample and doing a manual analysis. And sometimes that's superior. And uh, there is nothing that inherently says that if you use a more fanciful method, uh, that this is better. Like if there is a problem that you can solve with a good old dictionary or with good old word stats or whatever, and that demonstrates your point, then why would you unleash the bird that just kind of creates all kind of validity and validation issues and transparency issues and uh, reproducibility issues and, and, and other kind of questions and accessibility issues also for people who try to follow and, and understand and replicate your work. So the measure of a good method is not that it's powerful. It is that it does what you do, what you need it to do. Right. And I think that's that's a very important thing that uh, like what Christian just said, like not to, to, to not be afraid to decide that I could do this, but that's not the best way. Right. That's, I think, important. And I think what one thing I really enjoy about being part of this community of computational uh, people in the social sciences is that this is a, a community where there's a lot of people who understand that and who really care and who are extremely open to this discourse. There is, of course, also people who kind of just want to get their, you know, kind of quick and dirty analysis just published and they're really annoyed if they get me as a reviewer and I tell them that this is not flying. Um, but as a whole, my experience with this community is that if you approach people and say, like, I have this kind of challenge with this method. I, I want to do something. This tool that you wrote seems to be useful or this kind of method that you propose seems to be useful, but I, I, I can't quite get it to, to do what it wants. The response is overwhelmingly, let's look at this together. And, and uh, so I think that's also something I would say, like, don't be afraid of just talking to the people. Some people have already well cited and big names, but on the whole, most of us are, um, let's say, we are experienced, but we're young enough to remember how this 
how this stuff began, right? Like, uh, like um, I mean, uh, I remember well the time before GitHub Copilots, and uh, you know when you uh, when when you had to create your code yourself. My code still looks like that, and um, <laughs> I'm not something I'm proud of, but it's a fact, right? And uh, that is because. I think especially for many people who take this field seriously, we don't think of this as a coding challenge. We think of this as a methods challenge. The code is epiphenomenal. If you figure out what exactly you need to do, the coding can be solved. Don't think of this as a, I need to learn R, Python or whatever kind of problem. Think of this as a, I need to think about measurement problem. And if you have that mindset, and you approach this community and the tools with that mindset, I think you can go far. There's so many fascinating issues still lying around here. There's more than one issue for everybody. Yeah. So like <laughs> go grab one, make this better.